0: Happy Friday. It's time for the Richard Skipper Friday wrap-up show. Who and what are you celebrating today? Richard Skipper believes every
1: day is worth celebrating, but today we wrap up the week with a dose of positivity. You never know who might show up or what might happen,
0: so get ready. Your Skipper is now coming on board and we are
1: ready to set sail. All aboard.
0: Happy Friday, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of Richard Skipper Celebrates. Who or what are you celebrating as we wrap up this week? It's been a crazy one. I'm still waiting for Santos to arrive. He said that he would be here before the end of the show, uh, but he may be in Rio doing some show or something, uh, but I'll just throw caution to the wind and think that he will not show up. Uh, Look at the books that we're going to be celebrating today. I am so excited. I have... Four of my favorite authors, Waiting in the Wings. Three of them have been on the show before. One will be making his debut here, but I have been a friend and a fan of his for a long, long, long time. A long time. Uh, But before we begin, I'd like to show a throwback uh, to some of the other authors and books that we've celebrated since I first started doing this show uh, when COVID first began, That was the purpose of this show beginning. All this month, we are celebrating authors and books. This is National Book Blitz Month. I hope that you'll all take notes, and I hope that you'll all go out and buy these books. Support these authors. But here they are, a few of the authors that we've had in the past. Looking back. Now, before the show started today, I uh, asked uh, Natasha Lombardi, who's watching. Hello, Natasha. I'm so glad that you're back, uh, to pick a number, one through four, like let's make a deal. And she picked door number three. Uh, And uh, I have told this story before, but I will tell it again. And then I'll talk about uh, two of his books. I'm going to hold them up here so he knows who's coming up. Uh, I met John Meyer. Actually, I'm going to bring him on camera while I... Tell this story, uh, I uh, John. John, are you th- there? You are. Uh, so I met John years ago uh, when I was at a party at the home of Phyllis Raskin, and I was I had met for the first time my dear friend Dana Lorge, and uh, I asked her to get up and sing, and she said, "What makes you think that I can sing?" And I said, "Well, you look like a singer, sitting at the piano with it was this man John Meyer." And uh, I brought Dana to the piano and uh, I said, you know, get up to sing. And she said, uh, I only sing obscure material. And he said, like what? Maybe I know it. She said, well, um, I'd like to hate myself in the morning. And he said, I wrote that song. And she said, sure you did. He began to play it. And of course, it was written by John Meyer. And here he is today. We're going to talk about uh, two of his books that we have here. Uh, Heartbreaker, which I've had on the show to talk about before. And Operation Ruby Slipper, which is a fictitious story involving Judy Garland. Uh, but his relationship with Judy Garland was anything but fictitious. John, I'm so thrilled that you're here today. How are you?
2: I'm good, Richard. You're kind of frozen in my pain.
0: Uh, And we lost him. Uh, Hopefully, he will be back. Uh, While I'm waiting for him to come back, uh, I'm going to go ahead and pull up another guest of mine uh, who's waiting on the wings. He, too, has been here before, uh, and uh, he has been uh, up in the cheap seats many, many times. We're going to talk about that, this incredible book. He has a great blog. I'm going to also bring up on the screen his uh, uh, website so that you can all keep up with him. I hope that John makes it back. He was having problems there. And here you are, Ron Fassler. Uh, But today, this is not a cheap seat, baby.
3: (laughs) No, the cheap seats refer to the time when I was a teenager and I went to the theater on a weekly basis because going to the theater was open and available to everybody. Uh, the average ticket price to sit upstairs was $3, sometimes as low as $2. And I was just a kid on the an island and my parents gave me permission to come into Manhattan. Uh, it was my playground, my my backyard, so to speak. And and you know, for those who understand what the times were like back in the early 70s, you know, not a very safe place, not, you know, uh, times were tough, but you know, I, I had fortitude and, uh, you know, I was always wary of where I was. I was, I was only mugged once, but uh, that, nothing was going to stop me from going to the theater. Even if my parents had said, no, we're not going to give you permission, I think I still would have figured out a way. Uh, they just couldn't stop me. And I could go to the theaters by myself. There was no TKTS booth. You know, the, the only way you could get tickets was by mail order. Uh, where you would send a check to the box office, and, and you'd get your tickets in the mail, or you could, you know, go right to the box office. And I barely came up to some of the box offices, you know, and and um, I got to know the box office people. They they just thought I was kind of adorable, and I think I was, and that got me far because you are. after every show, I also went backstage because these were days that were very different than than they are today. Um, you see these crowds at the stage door; they did not exist when I was going to the theater back in the 70s, um, you know, everybody's got a camera in their phone, everybody can sell an autograph on eBay and that's degraded the whole process, you know. Yeah, in the I, I saw,
0: little, I, excuse me for interrupting, but I saw a great- No, go ahead. You remind me of by Toni Morrison. And she said, you know, we need to experience these life experiences rather than trying to record everything. Uh, right. Those memories should be here and here. And yet everybody, you're absolutely right, uh, sitting in the theater with everyone doing this is, oh God, I, I just wish that there was some way that we could eliminate them completely from the theater.
3: Yeah, I, I think they should just jam the signals, you know. Um, I mean, you know. Uh, I know doctors may need to leave a theater on a minute's notice and then go back to using pagers again like the old days. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I, nobody should be looking at their phone for two hours when they're in the theater. Nobody. Well, so I want
0: to a- ask you, Ron, when did you first uh, feel that you could feel the shift happening and when everything began to change in terms of the theater-going experience?
3: Well, I think the internet changed everything. You know, uh, it certainly changed uh, a show being able to go out of town quietly and you know not <laughs> have prying eyes. There's no such thing. You know, if you want to uh, uh, try out your show in Juneau, Alaska, there're going to be people blogging about it. You know, within minutes they're on Twitter, and you know, you you can't get away. Um, also, something has really shifted in the way audiences respond. You know, um, it, 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 the the need to ovate the standing ovations. Which you know it's bothersome, you know, because not everything deserves a standing ovation. I mean, Richard, you remember. I mean, it was it was uh, rare to get a standing ovation.
0: Well, I came to New rare. York. I arrived in New York. You talked about what New York used to be like, but I arrived in New York, August fifth, nineteen seventy nine, uh, thinking, as I've said in my own uh, show thinking that I was coming into the world of Breakfast at Tiffany's, Sunday in the uh, right. Sunday in uh, New York. Uh, but what right. I came into was Midnight Cowboy and Taxi Driver. Uh, right. And uh, it, it's just an, an amazing, but going to the theater and the feeling of everyone, that anticipation of the curtain going up. The first show that I saw on Broadway was at the Palace Theater on December 6, 1979. It was Oklahoma, the night, the uh, revival, obviously. Yep. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and just that I can still feel, I mean, every aspect of that evening, it was raining outside, that evening is so vivid in my memory. I feel like Mary Lou Henner when I talk about it because every detail is right there. Uh, and those memories can't be captured on a camera or you know, on a phone or something. Well, and
3: you were also present. You weren't distracted. You you were there to see the show. I don't understand these people that you know have to check their phones every five minutes. It's just it's insane. I mean, it's attention deficit disorder on a major you know uh, uh, landslide level. Um, and and also audiences. Are, are wanting to be part of the experience now. I'm finding it's really gotten out of hand since uh, COVID and theaters returned. Um, I, I'll give you an example. Into the Woods, which was revived so beautifully, and it was just a wonderful production. Uh, the people who came to see it, they it wasn't enough for them to just sit and, and watch it. They wanted to be part of it you know, everybody is connected into the woods. Everybody did it in their high school now. You know, it's one of the most, and and they they just wanted to prove, oh, I get what you're doing with that line. Oh, oh, I get the joke there. So they were screaming and laughing. It was was just out of proportion. I I was like, it was like a rock concert, which I, I I guess is fine. Shows, theaters can be rock concerts, you know, but you really should just be listening and not sort of proving something about how you're getting it. It, it. it That's what it feels like to me. And, and I hope this doesn't sound like some, you know, two older gentlemen, you know, ranting and raving. But, <laughs> well, we are. But we, we are. We are a little. But, um, you know, and also, hey, you know, while we're on the subject, you know, getting dressed up to go to the theater. You know, oh, I, I'm still in shock when I see people show up dressed for the beach. I don't know what. And people who bring food. You know, the inability to... um to just sit for two hours without having to stuff their face and eat, it's, it's, Well, I've got it's, two it's, theories
0: it's, about both of those things. First of all, I truly believe that audience behavior changed with the Arsenio Hall show when the audiences were being revved up uh, in the audience in, in terms of how they responded to everything happening on stage. I do believe that. Um, and as far as people dressing as they are going to the beach and everything, that started happening primarily, uh, believe it or not, with Les Mis uh, when uh, the T T A T S booth and they were encouraging people to get out of line and to go to the theater as you are, and people would would just show up dressed. In any form of undress they were on. Uh, I've got, uh, you know, other guests that I want to bring on. But before I do, as I do with every Friday wrap-up show, I've got four mystery questions. So you get to pull a number one through four. Oh, great. Number two. Number two. And I'll see if I can tie it in with the theater. Uh, This is a good one. If you could meet any actor that you've written about, I think I've asked you this question before. Yes, Um, you did.
3: So I'll pick another one.
0: Uh, well, um, you, I know who you well, said I'll, before. Uh, you get yes, to pick I another see. actor. In addition, right. I said, Robin, I said
3: be, Robert Preston. Did, before, that's right. Uh, because uh, the, first yes, book, the, uh, <laughs> the first chapter of my book uh, about going to the theater is, of course, the first time I ever went to the theater. And that was to see uh, when uh, Preston and Mary Martin did I Do, I Do. And and you talk about the experience you had at Oklahoma. Well, I had one of those extraordinary first nights in the theater, and I'll leave it for people who might want to read the book and be surprised by it. But it it, it was very magical, and it wasn't just any ordinary night that I picked to go, and who I was sitting behind. And it's it's a great story. Uh, but this is very funny. But only about an hour ago, a new friend I've made who read my book and wrote me uh, is an actor, and he's had amazing experience. We're about the same age. I, but I, I wasn't familiar with his career and he started just telling me some of his adventures. And he just told me one today. He found himself on an airplane in first class going across the country with Jason Robards. Like, wow. Wouldn't wow. you die to just sit with Jason Robards for a couple of hours and hear those stories. So wow. an actor like Jason Robards, who, who, uh, Is just someone I admire from from the beginning, you know, from the first thing you've ever seen him in till the very last thing. I don't know if you ever saw the movie Magnolia, the Paul Thomas Anderson film where he he basically played the whole movie lying in a bed, dying, because in real life he was that ill and he agreed to do the movie. And it is it is breathtaking work. And actors like that just hold a special place in my heart. Besides the fact he was a great rock tour, And of course, you know, went out and hoisted a few and, and has many <laughs> stories to tell. Great story, great probably story. not even suitable for printing that I would hope to get on that airline flight. So,
0: well, I'm going to bring on our next guest uh, now. But before I do that, uh, there was a, a Carol Channing told a great story that she was uh, when she went to see Nicholas Nickleby. She was sitting in the theater, and then, of course, you know, it was two nights. So she comes back the next night, and this uh, he, was a, a, a ma- he was a Chinese uh, man. He sat down next to her, and he said, I know who you are. And she said, yes. He said, you were the lady I was sitting next to last night. So- <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, I have to bring on Thank John Henry. Uh, How are you,
1: John? I'm good, Richard. How are you, yeah. and hi, Ron.
0: Yes, and I I have to bring up your book. Here is Musical Theater, A History. And I have to tell you, part of my morning routine every morning is to go to Musicals 101.
1: Oh, my website, yes.
0: Your website to find out what happened uh, on uh, Broadway on that day.
1: On any given day, yes.
0: Do you know what happened today? What's today? Uh, Well, I pulled it up. George and Ira Gershwin's Pardon My English Open on Broadway.
1: 1933, uh, I, I love the fact that I was able to find something for just about every day of the calendar. It's amazing how much happened at the most unlikely of times. By so, the way, I know you're celebrating uh, Cheese Day, so I'm, I'm in the spirit. Good for you. Um,
0: so I want to ask you, I, you know, and Ron really goes into depth in his book, you know, with uh, his love of theater, how it all began for him. And we get a
1: real sense of this. When, where, and how did it start for you? It started when I was four years old and my mother took me to see Mary Poppins the movie, and I would not leave at the end of the movie. Uh, that's when we should have known something was wrong. But then five years later, they re-released My Fair Lady to movie theaters in 1969. And my parents mm-hmm. said, oh, this is something John's going to like. Let's take him. And it was the first time i i grew up in new york city where all the movie theaters were old vaudeville theaters yes. you know 1300 1400 seats or more and even if you had 200 people in a theater that was nothing you, you you had privacy at this screening the first night of the re-release of my fair lady we were in a packed 1300 seat theater and it was like being at a live performance of something mm-hmm. and sure. it was like i had discovered my drug And as we drove home that night, I said, could we buy the cast album, you know, the soundtrack tomorrow? Mm -hmm. And my mother said, oh yeah, we'll go to the hardware store and get it. Back then you had to go to a hardware store to get records (laughs) because that's where they sold record players. Right, right. And we went to Stevens on Steinway Street in Astoria and the salesman said, oh yeah, you'll find the soundtracks right over there with the cast recordings. I didn't know what a cast recording was. I'd never heard of such a creature. (coughs) And Right behind My Fair Lady, the soundtrack, was My Fair Lady with Mary Poppins in the lead and the original Broadway right. cast. Exactly. And my mother spoke those words that changed my life forever. There are only 450 each, get both. <laughs> Whereupon, we got both. I brought them home. The soundtrack was just like the movie. The cast album took me to another world. So over the course of the next few weeks, I bought The King and I, The King and I, Hello Dolly and Hello Dolly, anything that I could find the match to on stage and screen. And then I started going for all the stage musicals. And then the result, you know, was my life totally destroyed. But um, I I don't regret it a bit. Uh, Ron, I was going to theater just a little bit behind you. My father, the cop, would not let me go to the theater. My parents were theatrically challenged. And when I finally got to see my first Broadway show, it was because my father was a closet Jane Powell fan. And he took me to see her in Irene in 1974. He had his off-duty revolver in his chest holster. We got out at the R-Train stop at 49th Street and we had to step over a puddle of fresh blood coming out of the station. So I know exactly the Times Square that you're talking about. But let me
3: ask you something. When you saw Mary Poppins, did you see it at the Music Hall?
1: No, I saw it at a theater in Queens. In Queens. I got to see
3: it at the Music Hall.
1: Wow. Nice. Nice. I got to see it when it was re-released at the Music Hall years later. That was a lot of fun. Right.
0: I only got to see one movie at Radio City Music Hall, and that was when they restored *A Star Is Born*. And oh, you were there that night too. We were all there. I night? was sitting.
2: We were all there. I was there.
3: <laughs> <laughs> were I was you sitting in front of
0: James in? Mason, and oh, uh, the and ovation I he in. got. Do
3: you yep. remember the ovation James Mason oh, got? It took I thought it was for me. Totally by surprise. Oh. <laughs> Uh, that warmed my heart because Jason, Ro- uh, Jason uh, James Mason is just so phenomenal in that movie that, oh, yeah. that that audience gave him that love that night. Oh, that was I was so he deserved I was He's, doing marvelous. He's marvelous
1: in that film. Oh, incredible. incredible.
0: I love him. In every, but he is absolutely incredible in that film. That moment when he is lying in bed just before he walks out into the ocean, that moment alone, he should have won the Oscar for that. Just Thank you. It, yep. Everything that crosses his face... Uh, my father, I've talked about this before. Unfortunately, alcoholism took his life. Uh, and every when I see that scene, I see everything that I lived with with my father. It's right there. How James Mason captured that was unbelievable. But um, I I was doing my first stock job in uh, Hopkinton, Rhode Island. And the New York Times had a full page ad about... The fact that a star was born was going to be at Radio City Music Hall. The very same day, I remember the day that uh, the, the ad ran, it was the day that Ethel Merman passed away.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: And they ran wow. that ad. And I couldn't wait to get back to New York and hopes of get, I I didn't think in a million years that I would be able to get tickets for that event. But because you had to go to the box office to get the tickets. Yep. And you
3: wound up sitting next to James Mason? Or I was sitting you?
0: directly in front of James Mason.
3: That's extraordinary. That's amazing. By the way, do you that. know who turned down that part opposite Trudy Garland? Who? George but, Peeker asked Cary Grant.
1: Yes, Cary Grant. Oh, Cary. my God. Wouldn't that have been amazing casting? But I—I I don't know if he would have gone to the depths James Mason was. Mason, I don't know if I, Cary Grant. And, and, and the amazing I had that thing is, James Mason never had a drinking problem, but he was able to, <laughs> you know, demonstrate yeah. it on screen with such sympathy and such heart. Uh, well, also,
3: it's very hard to play drunk, and I, I think the initial scene where we meet him when he goes on stage and you know interrupts her, her little trio—I I think it's some of the best drunk work I've ever seen. Any actor? <laughs> I agree. I, really, just extraordinary drunk work. You know.
1: Oh yeah, the Academy Award scene. Ooh.
3: Well that too. Yeah.
1: Uh, of course he's mean, one
3: of my very best. He's one of my very best impressions. I, I made a lot of money for you and, and you, but I need a job. I I need a job.
1: Sorry.
0: It, it had had a great time. Time. You get the job. You got the job, Ron. Thank you. you. Got Thank it. you. You're saying hello, honey? I know. Oh. So, uh, y- y- you know, um, with each of you, I mean, what was the last show uh, that each of you saw? So I'll start with you, John, and then Ron.
1: Last show I saw was uh, "Some Like It Hot," which I think is the best damn thing to come into town in years. I so loved it. <laughs> yeah, I saw agree some like it with you?
3: you. Totally agree with you. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a really well done fun broadway musical like the way they used to
1: make them thank you yeah and proof that they still can ah. which is the real surprise. absolutely sure of course um, they can. and that it can be uh socially aware that it can be uh progressive it's all those things that everybody is screaming for and a damn good musical comedy is it and getting good luck he, doing that many more times but wow thank heaven this worked
0: is it getting the audience uh are our audiences flocking to it
3: it's not flocking, but slowly, but surely it's, yeah, doing, it's doing decent. It has no, it has no stars. Turk, yeah, the the tourists really have hard. to
1: find out about it. That's the thing. Yeah.
3: It's not a, it's not a tourist driven show, you know,
1: it doesn't have you Jackman in it. Now this question that I know that
0: I can ask both of you because you both, uh, I, I would not be able to ask everybody this question, but you too, I can ask sitting there watching some like it hot. Um, are images or thoughts or vestiges or uh, sounds of Sugar running through your head?
1: No, oh, yeah. I I I found the approach was so different. Um, I know that an off there's going to be an off Broadway brief revival of Sugar yes, coming yes. up yeah. in the near future. Yeah. I will look forward to seeing that. I like Sugar. It's got a fine score, but it sticks pretty much to the original That's Billy right. Wilder concept. Yes it doesn't really try to expand it what amazed me with this new show is they so changed the content they so without killing the original idea turning the two musicians into brilliant tap dancers wonderful touch turning the mary uh, the, the marilyn monroe character into a singer who can also tap dance totally incongruous and then by the i I hope i'm not ruining this for anybody no 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 by the time you get to the second act and the big chase scene it turns out to be the biggest tap ballet since 42nd street and wow when that when the mobster is arrested looks and says you guys can really dance it was hilarious
0: i'm a huge tap fan i love tap dancing uh, and you
3: don't see that much of it anymore not like that. Oh, you do when Casey, you do in Casey Nicholos, the choreographer. Yes. You know? I mean, yes he yes. he put just... it into Book of Mormon. He, 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 he loves his tap. Yeah.
1: God bless him. There
3: is only one thing about the musical, John. I'll, I'll, I'll run by you. It's my one caveat when I wrote my review. Where's the heat? It's called Some Like It Hot and it's yeah. not sexy. It's a yeah. sex farce without the sex. It's a farce, but it, 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 it lacks that. Um, and that's because they recrafted sugar that she's not a, a sex pot, right. And I missed it. I missed that. And and do you, I, that you, that you was, don't you don't get the attraction.
0: Do you think that it is them trying to be politically correct in today's world that
1: yes. they went yes. so far away from that? Yes. How, yes. how do you depict that kind of sex mom anymore? You'd, you'd be ripped to, ripped to shreds if you did.
3: I don't think so. I don't think so if you did it with integrity. You know, I mean... You got to remember when that movie came out Marilyn Monroe was the star. she's the top billed mm-hmm. actor in that movie. And and the, the whole thing was that two men wanted her badly. That's not the plot of this new song mm-hmm. like it all. It's not. Just yeah. not. I I mean Christian Borle and Adriana Hicks I think they kissed once, I think. Yep. There's no heat. There's no yeah. passion. There's no sex. That And even now with the new guy finding he likes to wear a dress, which is a brilliant touch, very smart, absolutely the way to go. But then wh- where there's no sex. It's all chaste. It's all very, nobody touches anybody. Everybody's tentative. And that's the current situation that we're in right now where you don't, nobody t- It's too delicate. And it's a freaking sex farce. Come on guys. Shakespeare did it and we still love it. When people get dressed up in different costumes and, and think they're a boy and a girl, you know, you can still no. do it. Well, Ron, right. Ender,
0: nobody's Ender
2: perfect.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so I have
0: to ask you is there, something, is there anything
1: coming in that you're very excited about? Um, I'm looking forward to New York, New York. Uh, anything coming from, you know, John Kander, Fred Ebb, and yeah. Lin Manuel. Oh my God. Uh, so there's, we there's nothing about it. There. We,
3: we, we know nothing about it. It, it's going to use four songs, and it and they're not playing the characters that uh, De Niro and and Manelli played. Great, so we don't know anything that about that.
1: Would it. not translate well to the stage. In it would original. Also, I it's remember, not a good movie. I no, remember seeing well. the original movie when it came out and being deeply disappointed. Uh, At the zip Then, when you see it in in its uh, you know director's cut with happy endings restored, right. there's a lot more to like there. So I do think that there's possibilities and. I don't point, think happy endings will. Be, I
3: mean, I don't think happy endings will be in this musical.
0: Probably
1: not. But whatever Lin Manuel brings to it should be fascinating.
0: Well, we whatever go back he does, to, tends to
1: be fascinating.
0: We go back to A Star Is Born, and it's interesting the parallels between that film and New York, New York, and the fact that after that film opened as well, they made all these cuts and they cut yep. major the plot uh, exposition out of the movie. They eventually you know, uh, restored it. And I have to say the first time that I saw it, I saw the completely restored version because New York, New York did not come to my hometown.
1: believe oh. it or not.
0: And mm-hmm. so I missed it completely. And so by the time I had moved to New York, um, and it was around the, if I remember correctly, and both of you will correct me if I'm wrong on this, um, when they restored it, um, it was around the time of Liza doing the act on Broadway. Yeah. Yes.
1: Because just like the movie, the act was initially directed by the same person. Right. As the movie, New York, New York. And he and Liza were both up to their, you know, skull caps and Coke through the making of both of those things. And that's why to save the musical, the act, they brought in Gower champion. Um, And he was able to at least. You want to hear the,
3: you want to hear the, you want to hear the greatest story about the act?
1: Please. So.
3: So Martin Scorsese and Liza Minnelli were having an affair, and the show was going very badly. And one night, the entire cast gathered on stage for notes. No Martin Scorsese. They're just sitting there waiting. No Liza Minnelli. They're waiting. Finally, Fred Ebb comes out and goes, I just want to put to rest all the rumors about Liza and Marty, because really nobody knows what's happening, except that they're fucking downstairs. <laughs> Not great. God bless, and that's told business, by, folks. That was told by somebody who was there. Who was? I believe it. For notes I start. believe yes. it.
1: At eighty-eight, that's very Ron, bright up. I don't know if uh, Ron, if you ever went to the piano bar eighty-eight in the West Village years ago, uh, Richard and I were regulars there.
3: Yes. Well,
1: so was Liza Minnelli. She would come in every once in a while when she had a free evening, uh, and she and uh, and her little group would sit in the corner. And she'd be charming to people, and she would ask people to come over. after She liked the, uh, hearing them sing, and she would tell you, oh, you were marvelous, da-da-da-da. And then she would start making trips to the ladies' room. And every trip she made to the ladies' room, she came back higher and higher. And we used to call it the ski lift. Wow. Oh, she's on the ski lift, because you knew she was doing cocaine. And on one of these nights, at 2 in the morning, she said, I'd like to sing. All right. Her pianist, Billy, was there. So he took the piano and she sang one of his new songs, which proved to be pleasant enough. And then she leaned over and whispered something to him. And he went, are you sure? And she said, oh, yes. And started playing The World Goes Round. And she started singing. "You The world goes round. And she finished one verse of it. And then she said, I've I known all of you. I, I feel like I know all of you well enough that I can say this. For the next 20 minutes, she went on about abandonment, her father, her mother's drug addiction, her husband's mistreating her. And she never finished the song. She sort of petered out and Billy took her away from the piano. And we just stopped the evening right there. Normally they would play until three, but no, not that night. I was like, okay, that's it. Let's all go home. Ooh. Um, and that very the very fault that was on a Saturday and the following Monday, Liz Smith in her column said, I am so glad to report that Liza is still keeping clean and off drugs. And I'm so proud of her.
0: Well, I hope yeah. she's OK wherever she is right now. I'm finally, gonna attempt to, on that note, I'm going to attempt to bring John Meyer back on. Uh, speaking of Judy. Uh, so, John, are you with us now? You're in a different location, but we can't hear you. You, Your microphone is off. uh, Uh, Now you're completely uh, muted.
3: It's like the early days of live television.
0: Yes. Well, this is show business. This happens. That's right. I think Judy put the kibosh on that on him after that story, John. <laughs> uh, John, you're muted. Liza, <laughs> yeah. Well, Liza's still with us.
1: Ah, but she has power.
0: Yes, John, you're muted. So hopefully he can figure this out. John, I want to ask you. I mean, again, your book just arrived today, uh, and I can't wait to dig into it. Uh, but. How did the trajectory of your career uh, begin? Because I mean, when I look at what you do, uh, I think what a dream to be able to go in front of a class and talk about your passion the way that you do. And of course, from time to time, uh, late at night, uh, night television, I'll be watching some compilation of old movies or Broadway or something. And there you are popping up in. <laughs>
1: You know, how many documentaries have you appeared in? Uh, dozens. Yes. Quite, yeah, a lot. Yes. Um, well, it all started by working in the business. Uh, I was personal assistant to six Tony Award winning producers. And then after I worked on Rent, which I loathed, hated, despised and abominated, uh, I said, I'm not doing this anymore. And I went to work for Barbara Corcoran and I taught her then 400 uh real estate brokers, how to transition from DOS to a new thing called Windows. And while I was doing that, I built the website Musicals 101 because I said there's nothing on the Internet about the history of musicals, just stuff trying to sell you either DVDs or, or, or recordings. Um, and it started with 40 pages. It grew to 800. Then the invitations to start giving talks showed up. Uh, And then the invitation from a publisher saying, would you be interested in turning this into a book? Uh, And I said, sure, on one condition, that none of the text on the website is used in the book. I want to do it fresh. And we did, happily. Uh, Then that led to invitations from Marymount, uh, NYU, where I was for 14 years. um, The Philadelphia University of the Arts New School taught there as well. And now I'm just lecturing all over the New York and New Jersey metro area, usually four or five times a week. And it's a lot of fun. It is a joy to be able to talk about what you love.
0: That's wonderful.
1: Um, Fantastic.
0: uh, Ron, with your book, uh, did you always keep notes of your experiences of going to the theater? Or I mean, Because you're a brilliant writer, I, I've told you this before, I love your blog. Your uh, most recent one, I think it's your most recent one on James Little Jones, um, was yeah. uh, incredible. Um, and uh, you just give us such an insight into uh, what makes these artists great artists. So thank you
3: for what you do. Well, thank you. Well, you know, I started the blog as a way to sell my book. And then I just got addicted to doing the blog and I know John <laughs> knows what that's like. And, you know, it, I've written so many columns now, it's over 600 in the last six years and they're all 1200, 1500 word essays that I, I even, I'm glad I have a master list because sometimes I'll go, I want to write about Cary Grant. And then I, I Google myself. I, I put in Ron Fassler plus Cary Grant. And I go, Oh, I already wrote about Cary Grant. You know, <laughs> it, 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 you know, you, and, and I could also write six or seven different columns on Cary Grant if I took a different tact each time. You know, the one I wrote was about his theater career because nobody knows his theater career. And I thought that would be interesting. There's always a way in, you know. Like today, I decided that I was going to write a column based on uh, just um, certain replacements that did shows, you know, because that's another great thing. They don't win Tonys, you know. Um, and sometimes, you know, well, it's happening right now with Leah Michelle, you know, where the, the replacement, you know, is, is more touted than the original person. Um, and I, I'll tell you one funny experience I had was that um, I saw an indelible performance when I was young. It was Cliff Gorman as Lenny Bruce in wow. the play called Lenny. Did you see that, John? Yeah,
1: wow, and, I wish I did. And
3: I'm telling you, it was one of those performances. And he won the Tony. And when he left the show, he was replaced by an actor who was also a stand up comic a guy named Sandy Barron. And I went, I'm going to go see Sandy Barron. I mean, I was 14 years old and I was like, I want to see if a replacement can be as, I mean, I'd seen replacements before, but this was really seeing somebody who I thought was irreplaceable. And Sandy Barron was every bit as good as Cliff Gorman. And because I was, uh, uh, you know, uh, I wanted to be an actor, you know, that was an important lesson. And that's the other thing. I was getting acting lessons by going to the theater and seeing Mm -hmm. these people. Like Robert Ryan, who I write a whole chapter in my book on, you know, he was the first actor I ever saw in a comedy, The Front Page, which I Mm -hmm. think is the great American comedy. And then I saw him play James Tyrone in Long Day's Journey Tonight, the great Mm -hmm. American drama. And I thought, oh, my God, you mean you can do comedy and tragedy? You know, I I didn't realize that. And, uh, you know, uh, I take the actor's perspective when I write these columns, And that's another thing people enjoy, because when you read, you know, a book like On My Fair Lady, they're going to talk about Rex Harris. you know, I can get into what he achieved because I know what actors go through, and I know what you know the, the the turns they can take or don't take, or or the ones Moss Hart made him take, and, and I can talk about that intelligently and passionately, and that's that's what I love to do when I write. It's just a joy, you know. And and sometimes when I go and look at a column I wrote five years ago, and I go, "Wow, I wrote that!" You know, it's a, it's like the great line, you know, when the the creators of a musical are standing in the back of the house, and they go. God, this is good. And then they realize, oh, my God, I wrote it, you know, because you get caught up in what you're doing. It's the best. It's the absolute best.
0: Nisi Nash, who I, I mean, I, I'm a fan of hers, and she uh, won the People's Choice Award the other night, and she made a comment, you know, in this business, unfortunately, people want to put you in a certain lane, and they want to keep you in that lane. And they don't mm-hmm. want to allow actors, uh, If I mean, if you're good at what you do, you uh, Obviously, you should be able to try other things. I mean, a lot of people don't realize that before Dolly came along, uh, Carol was doing Shaw, and she was doing, uh, you know, uh, she did Pygmalion. She did all kinds of great theater. And there was a lot of theater. There were a lot of offers made to Carol over the years uh, that Charles turned down because he didn't think that it was in keeping with the image that she had. The only time that she tried to go off that image was when she did legends, her and Mary Martin, but no one wanted to see these two great Broadway legends uh, spouting every four letter word that had ever been put on paper. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was the problem with that show. Uh, plus it was not a, uh, you know, I- It's, a bad, put, it's, it's, it's a, bad a bad show. Script. It's
3: uh, a bad show. Uh,
0: but have you, each of you, have you ever gone to see a show reluctantly oh. And then it turned out to be something greater than what you were expecting.
1: Yes. Um, Big River. I was not excited about going to see a country Western style musical. But the reason I gave in was because I loved what Roger Miller did in things like Robin Hood, Mm -hmm. uh, the Disney movie. And I figured at least there'll be some good songs. And it wound up being pure musical theater it was superbly dramatized it was beautifully written by the time they finished Muddy water i was a wreck along with the rest of the audience and then by the time you got to the end of the show total believer in it so that was my surprise show uh yeah, yeah, beautifully designed too oh god yes uh
3: yeah yeah, sometimes I go to something with very low expectations, and then I'm very, very pleasantly surprised, and I and I love that. But I like to say that I I always go to the theater, like never like this, never no to the like no this. heaven help you, if you I, do. I, because I I quote this in my book because I love it. Pauline kale when she would go to a movie and this that was one tough critic, and you think she's there with her 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 pen is sharpened and her razors, you know. And you know what she would do? She would take the hand of the person sitting next to her who she'd invite, and she would say, let us pray. Meaning pray wow. for a great experience because that's what you yeah. want. That's what you're going for. You don't want to go and write a bad review. You want to go home and write something passionately you know, about something that you just fell in love with. You know, you know and, I, don't, um,
0: I don't understand uh, these people that can't wait to rush home to write something negative about something that they've seen. Or those that are watching shows in real time on television. And uh, I I turned those off completely. Um, You know, some of you know this. I stepped away from Facebook for a while. Uh, You know, that vitriol and that uh, one upmanship, there are people in the theater who have written books, who are uh, respected, who you get into a, a, a private situation with them and they're catty about, you know, knocking people down in this business that I'm not a fan of. And uh, I also, if, if I'm going to invest my, it's not only the money, but I live in Rocking County. It's coming into the city. It's gas. It's tolls. It's parking. It's, yep. you know, finding a good restaurant. Hopefully that's high end with the evening. It's, it's, the whole package, why would I put myself through the agony of wanting to go in and not like something?
3: Thank you. Well, you know, some people are just, they're, they're just negative and they're they're downers. Um, uh, a friend of mine, his father used to say, oh, that guy, he's a misery. And I always use that. I, I think that's the greatest thing is to use that as a noun.
1: He's a misery. And well, Alan people, J. Lerner said that there were said there were people who would go to the opening, the out-of-town opening in New Haven of any new show just to be able to say how dreadful it was. No show looks great at its very first public performance. And in his autobiography uh, on the street where I live, uh, he he calls them the dear shits. And you know they're going to be there very quickly, making sure everybody back home in New York knows how perfectly sad that first performance was in New Haven. But can you
2: imagine
0: at that time if they had their devices at you know they, oh, died,
1: they didn't have them the well, but now of course yeah. they have their devices at the first preview on Broadway, so
3: Well, some Like It Hot definitely suffered from that because it was previewing in New York and New York, New York is going to preview in New York and Sweeney Todd's revival is gonna preview in New York. It's it's terrible. Yeah. Uh, you know, there is something to be said for the distance, even if the bloggers can still get online and do that. But you know, I I, I just think that as a you know because i've become a theater critic in the last five or six years too and i try not to write a negative review even if it's something i don't like sometimes i'll say something like this might appeal to people
1: who like blah 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 blah," because there's always an audience unless it's
3: something terrible and i feel like i got to tell people you save your money Uh, that i'll do but i won't do it in a mean way i i can be positive or, or constructive but um I just, there's just the John Simons and, and thank God really critics aren't like that anymore. Well, you know, I used to to watch theater
0: talk, which I used to love, you know, Susan Haskins and uh, Riedel, Uh, but they would have their critics, you know, at the beginning of the season and there were certain critics that would come on, you know, who they are and they would sit there and they would trash a show before it had even come out of the gate you know, the casting choices, you know, why is this person going to do this? Why is that person going to do, you know, it's hard enough getting the money for these shows. And these people who get to go to the theater for free uh, and get, uh, you know, when there's so many people who want to go to the theater, who can't afford it. And so these people to sit there and to basically uh, knock their lifelines is something that I will never understand.
3: Well, give Josh Groban a chance too. You know, I mean, people are up in arms about that casting because it doesn't make sense. To them. Well, you know, Tony Kell is a really good director. I mean, why, they might why doesn't have a Josh whole Groban take... make
1: sense? You know, I mean, he's we, got we don't know. We don't know voice. what they're up to. Yeah, we'll we, give we, it a shot. I'll get, listen. Know? It's no two productions of Sweeney have been vaguely alike. They've been so different, all the productions that have come to New York. I've seen them all. I loved them all to different degrees. And I'm certainly going to see this one as soon as I can. Oh, thank you. I have to ask
3: Richard. Richard, I have to ask you a question. If Oklahoma was the first show you saw in 1979, Sweeney had to have been the second.
1: No, it wasn't,
0: believe it or not.
3: I I did not
0: see the original Sweeney.
3: How did you not rush to switch? Which is pot?
0: one of the biggest regrets of my life. <laughs> I regret it. The, the second show I saw
1: was Barnum. That's not a bad choice. Barnum was a great show.
3: And I'll tell I you, I think you secretly you were angry that Angela wasn't doing Maine.
1: Ah. That's why
0: you stayed away. No, no, I. Um...
1: <laughs> did you see her when she did it in '83?
0: No, but it's... I, uh, I've got. Uh, Connection to that show because the uh, I auditioned uh, for the Jewel Box review, they were going to bring it back to Broadway in a big production. Our backers' audition was at the Gershwin Theater, Uh and our backers' audition was on stage at the Gershwin Theater. Uh huh. The
1: afternoon after Mame closed, Uh there was was still no night of that, Mame, it was incredible.
0: I still I still have cards from that uh, that I stole from the dressing room that were that were left behind. Well, they were left there. So I grabbed everything I could and that was my connection to that and uh but Macajola put it at the same time. Right. And so uh, that production never ever happened. I thought that was going to be the show, you know, that would uh bring me to Broadway. I've had these close calls I did a, a show years ago um, called "The King's Men" with Chaz Palminteri, and uh, and Lucia Victor, uh, who took over for directing. You know all the productions oh, of dollies, uh said, "This is going to be your Dolly, Richard." She said this to me. Um, I played a song plugger uh, in the show, who was constantly coming into the room saying, "Let me sing my song," and it, Chaz, you know, his character kept saying get out of here, get out of here. And at the very end of the show, I come out, I sing the song and brought the house down. And it was a, it was a ballad. It wasn't a big over the top song, but it was this very poignant moment in this, how uh, Lyndon wanted to bring the show to Broadway and how Lyndon kept coming to uh, the, uh, the performances over and over and over. The playwright only wanted to do it with Chaz but Chaz oh. was not a name at the time. I mean, look at it now, yes. <laughs> but at that time he was not a name and we got this close. And, you know, it, to this day, it kills me that we did
1: not make it. Oh, the you almost know. hurt. They always the do. Almost hurts. There are a lot of those. And well, I have that, seen that a lot revival of Mame of hurt. It should have been, I don't know why the critics despised it, but they've never been very much in love with Mame. They've always given Mame a hard time opening night of that production. Um, at the end of the curtain calls, the music just recycled to We Need a Little Christmas. The audience serenaded the cast. I've never seen that happen anywhere, and I've got a live audio tape to prove that that happened. The audience just, you know, in the Gershwin, nearly 2,000 strong. Yeah. A Little Christmas. It was so exciting. And by the way, I was sitting in front of Yves Saint Laurent.
3: (laughs) For the people listening, this was a revival of MAME that came to town in 1983 It had been touring. And it was a very tacky production. The sets were bad and everything. But Angela was doing MAME. She was in her 50s. She was extraordinary in it. And just extraordinary. And nobody cared. And a year later, she did Murder, She Wrote. Had she brought it back in like for a summer, two years later, you wouldn't have been able to have gotten it.
1: Right. And they had
3: to close it early. And it broke her heart. It was really right. sad. Really was Ronald? You finally made it.
2: I'm I'm so glad to see you. Thank you for so much for having me on the show. It's a pleasure.
0: Well, you know, we're only at the last five minutes of the show.
2: That's fine. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> I mean, latecomers I, I will be know.
0: seated. Yeah. Hey I don't there, know, Ronald. Ron and John. If you know uh, Ron, uh, Ronald, but I, I have to tell you, I ordered this book, and when it arrived, and I opened it up, I almost fell off my chair. when I saw my name in your acknowledgments, So thank you for that. That was a huge surprise. But Uh this book, I have to tell you, everyone, I mean, talk about, I mean, the, he is, how many interviews are in this book altogether?
2: I think there's over 130 interviews with some of the most creative people on the planet. Yeah.
0: And this, I have to tell you, this is, of course, is Tommy Toon. And Uh I've got got, uh, one of Tommy's prints, in the other room of this, yeah. um, this book, it because what, what I love and I put this show together and brought Ron and John on today um, after asking you to do the show, uh, because I really wanted to talk about the creative process and the mm-hmm. fact that you got the opportunity uh, to interview so many people and to really tap into their own creativity and what their uh, creativity means to them. What was it that compelled you to sit down and originally begin to write this book? And how long did it take you?
2: Who are you asking? I'm asking
0: you. I'm asking (laughs) you.
2: Well, uh, the amazing thing was is um, I had started The Soul of the American Actor uh, 24 years ago and had started doing some interviews in it. And I've done over 1,500 interviews. And so someone said, you know, uh, those interviews over the years, people haven't had a chance to read them. And so I thought, well, uh, perhaps maybe I'll put a few together in a new book uh, and talk about the art of creativity. And that's how the book was born. And then I started interviewing new people to have in the book. People like Carol Channing and Chaka Khan and uh, Ellie Wazell and uh, Julie Harris. Uh it, it's been an amazing journey. Plus, I decided to add 130 artworks as well and invite uh people like Al Hirschfeld, who was so generous and contributed uh at least you know 15 artworks, and uh also people like Everett Raymond Kinsler, who gave me permission to use many of his paintings. And and then I asked the artists that I interviewed, people like Derek Wolcott and um, Stephen Lang and Andre Gregory as well, and, and Tommy Toon, naturally, and Melvin Van Peoples and and said, you know, do you make art? And they said, yes, we do. And so I included lots of art from many yeah. different artists all over the world. So you get a whole smattering of inspiration and creativity. And I, I really took the time to also include some of the amazing people who are no longer with us, people like Julie Harris and, and Ruby D and Ossie Davis, and Ben Gazzara, and even Bud Schulberg, who was amazing to talk to about that famous scene between Marlon Brando and Rod Steiger in the cab, and, and things like that, and, and even Spalding Gray, uh, who actually, uh, when he called me up on the phone, said, uh, oh, you're not there, and he left his message, and he went on and did a 20-minute monologue on my machine. So <laughs> it's been an amazing journey. Uh who was the Where can we book? where can we get the book? Well actually you can find it on Amazon. Uh, right. along with my uh, my other two books, uh, Solo Transformation on Stage and Acting Teachers of America. Exactly. And create That's Exactly, it's create the com. You'll learn all about the book there. Yes.
3: And so the book is called Create? It's called
2: Create. It, it, it's called it create. Is. Yes, uh, How extraordinary people live to create and create to live. And uh, it's been an amazing journey. Even somebody like Brian Cox is in there. And he talks all about the beginning of his career and his life as an actor on the stage. And uh, and that's really what the book is about. Inspiration, creativity, and overcoming failures and, you know, going forward in your life. I've, I've been a, a Goodwill Cultural Ambassador now for almost 24 years. And uh, the State Department has sent me to three countries and now they've just awarded me another Fulbright. So, uh, with all speed, I'll be That's going to Turkey. In
3: the
1: spring Very uh, nice to perform Congratulations. Congratulations.
2: My friend <laughs>
0: Alan just pointed out that today is the 20th anniversary of Al Hirschfeld's pa- passing. So, uh, uh, I'll ask each of you, uh, and, uh, Ron, did you ever mm-hmm. meet Hirschfeld and,
2: well, uh, no, actually, I uh, say, I Al invited me over to... <laughs> I'll go over. ahead. Oh, no, please, Ron, go ahead. We have two Rons. No, here. no, no.
3: Uh, yeah, please. I was just going to say, uh, if this is the the day he died 20 years ago was the day everybody went, I'm not getting a Hirschfeld. You know, I know, I, mean, the, I know. It, 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 even though he was yep. 100, he was still doing it. Um, mm-hmm. No, I would see Al Hirschfeld at opening nights. You know, he always mm-hmm. got sent tickets to opening nights. I don't know who made that possible, the Schubert's, the Landers, and Jujanth. They all got together and went, like, Al Hirschfeld's on the opening lightness, right? <laughs> and I saw him so many times, but I never had the opportunity to, to speak with him.
0: I met him once and I was introduced to him by Carol Channing. Oh, she said, Richard. Richard, do you know this gentleman? <laughs> I said, Of course, Carol. You, you know, said, Santa? Yes, dancer baby, uh, there he was, and it was, but it was great mm-hmm. to finally meet him. And I'll tell you a very interesting story. Um, I I can't go into many details, but I had a a bad experience with a producer, and uh, I when I was performing as Carol, you know, Carol had uh, eight Hirschfelds done of her, and I wanted to have these Hirschfelds on stage, and I mm-hmm. called the Margo Feiden Gallery, and uh, they said yes and they were going to give me permission to use the Hirschfelds and they were only going to charge me a fee are you ready for this of a hundred dollars per Hirschfeld and this crazy producer said no let's see if we can get the originals from Carol
3: oh god and I oh said Lord. there's no
0: way I'm going to ask Carol for her, her. No, <laughs> no of course not and uh, it- so uh we never, ha- we never got the Hirschfelds, and one of my huge, huge regrets. Uh,
1: John, same question. Did you ever meet I got to meet him on several occasions, not only uh, at theatrical events, but he used to love going to cabaret shows uh, right. and would bump into him there, and he was always so friendly and so welcoming, which is why I'm really glad that we were able to open the Museum of Broadway with a Hirschfeld exhibit as part of it because you couldn't really – He's all over that museum, as he has to be, but uh, that is, the the initial special exhibit is of his some of his great drawings, and seeing them in the originals just takes your breath away. They're beautiful. Absolutely. And Ronald?
2: Well, I did get to know Al uh, quite well, because I first met him at Gracie Mansion, and I told him... Actually, 24 years ago, I was thinking of creating the newspaper, The Sold American Actor, and I'd like to have, if possible, a Hirschfeld um, or two, just because uh, Julie Harris will be in the paper and Eli Wallach and Ann Jackson and Maureen Stapleton. and, And he said, you can have as many as you'd like. I love the idea. And so I probably had over 400 or 500 Hirschfelds over the past uh, 24 years in the newspaper, uh, because I've had so many that he drew, and then I got to his, uh, I got to know him and and uh, spend time with him at his home, and uh, of course I, Louise became a very close friend yes. and, and remains so to this day, and and so I interviewed Al as he sat in his barbershop shop chair. Ah, uh, doing a drawing for the New York Times, and then he started, "I'm going to just put your your face right here next to this the little drawing I'm doing, uh, just for practice." And so it was very sweet, but uh, uh, it was very special because now his his red chair, chair is up at Lincoln Center, yes. and I see it quite a lot. And um so I do miss Al uh, deeply, but. I uh, continue to um, uh, be able to uh, share uh, a Hirschfeld because as I continue to perform as Harold Clurman all over the world, um, I'm able to share uh, a Hirschfeld as Clerman everywhere I go.
0: That's great. Yes. Uh, well, I'm sorry that we've run out of time and I'm sorry that you got here so late. Oh, I'm thanks. sorry that John Meyer had trouble getting on. Uh, but again, the book is Create and uh, create Um John Kenrick, Musical Theater, it's there uh, Mm. and up in the cheap seats. Everybody, (laughs) get these books. I'm going to give my closing remarks and then I'm going to turn it over to you, Ron Fassler, and then you'll pick whomever will follow you. And then that person will pick the last person and you'll have the final word. Don't worry about how to end the show. As soon as you say goodbye, the final credits will roll. I want to thank everybody for being here uh, again all this month. We've been celebrating um, all of uh, authors and books. Tomorrow afternoon at 4 o'clock, we have a very special show. I'm going to bring this up. Where do you see the lineup of who's going to be on the show tomorrow? Uh, mm-hmm. We have uh, Luke Yankee, Del Shores, D. Wallace, Ruta Lee, uh, Jill Schweitzer and Melissa Manchester. They're yeah. all going to be on the show tomorrow. Uh, talk about creativity. It's all going to be here. It's going to be popping out of the screen. Uh, Tess Bella, who does the voiceovers for our show, uh, she has an incredible children's book uh, called *Mary Witchmas. And it's about a little witch who meets Santa, but Santa doesn't want to meet the witch because he doesn't believe in witches. So think about that. It's an incredible little children's storybook. And so... I kept trying to get her on when I would have these children book author- authors on the show. She couldn't work it into her schedule. So I said, pick a date, pick your favorites, and I'll reach out and see if they can come on the show. Every person that she mentioned said yes to us. So we're going to have an incredible show tomorrow, and we're going to talk about their books and their creativity. So everyone tune in tomorrow at four o'clock. It's going to be an amazing show. Uh, I wanna thank you all for being here as always, as I do with every show, I ask everyone to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. Order one of these books, order two, order three, send them to your friends, let them enjoy these books. If they love theater, they're gonna love these books. Um, And uh, I also say, pick up the phone and call someone, not an email message, not a text message, not a private inbox message, but a phone call and let those people know what they mean to you in your lives. I lost three friends last week. Mm. I found out yesterday that a friend of mine that I have not spoken to in a long time passed away. And then I heard today that someone that is a friend of mine uh, passed away at the actress' home. Uh, I'm trying to find out and get confirmation on that from the actress' Home before I announce who that is. Uh, But just remember, life is precious. Hold on to our friends that we have here and reach out with a phone call. As my dear friend, Shannon Moniker says, we're all in this together, but we're not in the same boat. And I say, we're all in the same storm, but we're in different size boats. Some are in yachts, some are in canoes, some are in rafts. Some are in tugboats pushing everything upstream. I don't care what size boat you're on. Just make sure that if you're in a boat, you have a skipper by your side. And with that note, I'm going to leave. And Ron Fessler, I'm turning it over to you. Thank you all for being here
3: today. Ron, it's all yours. It's all mine. What do I do? Oh, you know, I do love that Richard wanted to devote a show to books. Because as you can see behind me, uh, books are very precious to me. Um, and uh, I lived in L.A. for 30 years. And when I finally decided to move back to my hometown, you know, my first thought was, "Huh, oh, my books, my books. That's all I cared about. Uh, you know, furniture, forget it. I'm not sentimental, you know, but uh, books. Um, and then when I moved into this place and it came with bookshelves already, I was like, Whew! and I could bring my friends back with me. Um, Richard's right. Reach out to people you love and, uh, and tell them you love them. And uh, I'm going to give this over to John Kendrick, my new good friend.
1: Thank you, Ron. Um, Books, yeah, you'll see a lot of them in my house. Um, They are the stuff of life. I I can't imagine a life without books. I know that they have enriched my life. I know that I'm sure, um, Ron, I'm sure you would agree with me, writing a book is like giving birth. It's one of the most difficult things you can do, and at the same time, one of the most gratifying. Uh, I would urge anyone out there who is thinking of writing a book, stop thinking. write, <laughs> Actually do it. Sit down. Trust me, all first drafts are shit. Go for it. Write a book, then start polishing it up. The first draft of my book was dreck, total dreck. T- over time, it became something I could t- take some pride in. Um, Thank you all for uh, being with us this evening, Uh, and I hand it over to you, Ronald.
2: Thank you, John. Well, thank you, Richard, again, for having me on the show. It's such a joy to be here and to talk about books. Uh, It's always been a special privilege for me uh, growing up reading books. I remember my grandmother reading me uh, when I was very young uh, some of my first books, and uh, they've always stayed with me, and I think that's the joy of reading and the joy of living is that it's all connected uh, with what we're really alive about. And that is to share from our heart and souls. That's why I go out and do the work I do and also why I've written these books. So I thank you so much for having me a part of Richard Skipper Presents and and to celebrate the art of books and also the art of living because books teach us uh, to respect, uh, to have empathy for others, uh, to love each other and to keep growing and sharing what's really in our heart and soul so thank you so much much love and peace and have a beautiful evening thank you